0: this is wheel bearings i'm dan roth from forbes i'm sam abu al-samit from guidehouse insights
1: and i'm rebecca Leland from rebecca drives rebecca drives <laughs> too much coffee
2: <laughs> make an edit you'll never hear it <laughs> all right well let's uh let's talk about what we've been driving um let's just go we'll start at the top of the list sam Although you're not alphabetically at the top of the list. Well, well your name you... is. Your last name is. Well, so. he is. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's true. Yeah. We're doing it by last names. Uh, so you had the uh, the 2020 Mazda CX-30. And we talked about this a little bit, I think, on the last episode, just that you were going to have it. So uh,
0: yeah.
2: does it still make this, the was the CX-3 completely obsolete? I,
0: I would say so, especially for the U.S. market. Yeah, so the CX-30, as we've discussed before, I think you know, Rebecca and I both drove it at the launch drive in California back in December. Um, you know, this is uh, you know, a slightly bigger compact crossover for Mazda uh, than the CX-3, um, but much better packaging than the CX-3, especially for the U.S. market. You know, the CX-3 is based on the, the Mazda 2 platform. Uh, which you know is now only sold here as the Toyota Yaris and you know it's it's a lot smaller inside and you know it was never really never very well suited to the US market the CX30 is you know it's based off the the new generation 3 um, you know it's a it's a compact crossover it's it, it's a great looking vehicle it drives great you know it drives the one I had it's available as front wheel drive or all wheel drive i had the all wheel drive premium package, uh, which comes to, you know, uh, let's see, what was it? It was like just uh, 32000 I think, or 31275 is what it came to, including delivery. And, you know, this is, you know, I, I, I actually, in a lot of ways, like it better than the three, um, mainly because I do like the fact, you know, that, you know, I, I, I prefer in smaller cars having a tailgate, having a hatchback type of design. And the three, uh, you know, as much as I like it and I love the way it looks, you know, its uh, visibility is more restricted, especially to the back, because, uh, you know, it's got you know the the roof line slopes down a little more, the belt line sweeps up more towards the back, so you've got r- really thick C pillars. The the CX30, you know, has better visibility. Um, it's still not ideal because the belt line, you know, like the three you know, is pretty high. Um, it's it's interesting, you know, compared to the, the Lexus UX30 that we talked about last time, you know, the the UX30 or UX, no, yeah. UX250. Uh,
2: whatever. All the UX. You know, it's UX.
0: The, the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, Lex, the Lexus UX, you know, has a similarly high belt line. But, you know, the way everything is shaped in the interior, it doesn't feel quite as enclosed in the Mazda. As, as it does in the the Lexus, you know it still feels a little more open. Uh, you know and I think it's partly you know because the way the the dashboard is shaped, you know it more sweeps away from you. Um, you know and it just it it feels more welcoming and maybe a little less um, I, don't, I don't know if oppressive is the right word in the Lexus, but you know it just it didn't it just didn't feel as uh, like like as much like a place that I wanted to spend time whereas the Mazda really does feel that way. And, you know, like every, you know, Mazda of recent years, you know, it's got a, you know, lovely interior materials, you know, this is the the loaded one, you know, so leather finishing on the top of the doors and across the dashboard and the seats and everything, um, you know, soft touch materials everywhere, you know, that fully equipped with you know, adaptive cruise control and lane keeping assist and all the other driver assists. You know, a really nice heads up display. Uh it's got features like uh, you know uh sign recognition traffic signs for speed limits and stop signs and things like that. It'll uh I, sure. I like I do like having this the speed limits show up in the yes. HUD. Like that
1: exactly,
0: yeah. Uh, you know, things like stop signs, you know, not so much. You know, I, I don't find that particularly useful, but you know, it, it doesn't hurt, it doesn't annoy me. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, and you know, so it, it's doing, uh, you know, same sort of things that, uh, you know, that the latest edition of uh, Tesla's uh, latest feature addition to Tesla's full self driving is doing, you know, recognizing traffic signals. Uh but it's not it doesn't respond to them. It just gives you, you know, uh an alert, you know, just to make sure that you know, putting it right in front of you in case you missed the sign that you just drove past. Um you know, to let <laughs> you know what was there. Um
2: yeah. and, you know, I, well, so I, I think I, sometimes I, do, I can't I do remember which car that. it was, but it, it would actually um would set the cruise via the road sign.
0: Yeah. Well, there, there's a bunch of cars that do that now. Uh, you know, the, the Lincoln uh, Corsair and Navigator do that. Uh, the, I think the first one I had that did that was the uh, um, Mercedes E-Class, you know, that I drove about three or four years ago up to Traverse City for the uh, uh, management briefing seminars did that. You know, it. You mean it, it can, adapts it, it can, the cruise control for this? The yeah, the, the, yes. the, can, the camera would read the speed limit signs and right. automatically adjust the cruise control set speed can, to the new speed limit. Yes, uh, and, and they have that a lot in Germany. Like, I've, I've done yeah. a lot of yeah. I mean, BMWs th- do
1: that. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a cool trick it, until it happens when it when it's dark <laughs> and it's snowing and the car still wants to go 120 <laughs> miles <true>. an hour.
0: <laughs> well, you know, in in that in that scenario, that may have I mean, you probably to me. <laughs> shouldn't be using cruise control anyway. <laughs> It was, <laughs> and, no. and for what for what it's worth, you know, all these systems that I've tried, you can turn that that function off, so it doesn't. You don't. Yeah, you, know, no, you can I use know. cruise was- control and, <laughs> and not have it reset the speed limit. Um, and and actually, you know, uh, last fall on the uh, the launch drive for the Corsair, uh, a bunch of us did experience along one particular stretch on the last leg of the drive, um, driving towards Monterey. Uh, we got. Uh, we that we passed one particular speed limit sign, which we all read as 65, but for some reason the camera read it as 85. And, you know, we went past this sign and I know Stephanie Brindley experienced this and several other people I talked to all had this happen where, you know, all of a sudden the car sp- started speeding up and I looked at the HUD and it was showing, 80, well, that's showing that's 85. Well, that's because they because It had Tesla. read the speed limit <gasps> sign as 85. And it thought it was a fire truck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, so so you know these systems aren't these systems aren't perfect, so you do have to you know keep yeah. an eye on it. But you know it, I think it it can be a handy feature to so, you know just to give you a reminder what the speed limit is.
1: So you had you had the CX thirty, right? Yeah. Okay, I had so I wasn't going to talk about it this week, but I had the CX five which is in the middle. I actually did a little Goldilocks chart uh, w- during the review um, on on my site, shameless plug. Um, RebeccaDrives.com? The, I mean, yes. They're a big
2: sponsor.
0: <laughs> is, that, is that the site you were <laughs> referring to? That's the site,
1: RebeccaDrives.com, <laughs> all one word. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> but but I remember after after we went to the launch, I, you know, it's hard to to discern the differences between the three. Between the C X three, the or the C what is it? The C X three, the C X thirty, and the C X five. So I put together a handy dandy little chart showing like the the starting price, the wheelbase, length, width, height, things like that. And so I had the what would be perceived as the
0: biggest one. Um Yeah. Well, you know, I I, I think you know, if you drive the CX three and the CX thirty back to back, you can definitely tell sure. that the CX three is a substantially yes. smaller feeling car, for sure. Um, and similarly with the CX five, you know that it does feel bigger. Although the, you know the in terms of the interior design and layout and everything of the CX thirty versus the CX five, they are they do feel a lot closer uh, to each other. I mean, there's yeah. definitely a very common design language there and i i think i'm i'm fine with that cuz i i like that design language i love the way they feel and the way they drive and you know i think the the engine that they put in this the 2.5 liter naturally aspirated 186 horsepower 186 foot pounds of torque you know it feels good and strong you know it's a nice 6-speed automatic you know no no cvt uh nonsense in here you know so it's you know it is enjoyable to drive
1: yeah. No, I had a great time in the CX-5. I mean, I think it was, it, it was, you know, we've talked about this one before, cause I think I had it last year as well. I had the 2019, this was the 2020 um, in the signature all wheel drive. So it's fully loaded. <laughs> and it was, it was just, I mean, those things want to go fast and they're, and they're fun to go fast. You know, it, it's, it's one of those, you have, you do have to be conscious of your speed, but, so the one that I had, um, had the 2.5 liter, uh, turbo engine, 227 horsepower, the six speed sport mode, um, sky active. It's so nice to not have a CVT with that ring. I, yeah. uh, and, um, and this one went for $39,000 with delivery. So it was, but,
0: you know, again, we with yeah, and and we've you know we've talked about the pricing of the CX five you know several times before you know but the the reality is that the you know the rest of that segment is getting into that same price range as well you know and I think you know give you know if it came down to you know Ford Escape or Honda CRV you know at the high end you know or or a Rav four yeah in that same price range. I personally would probably opt for the Mazda. I, I I just like it.
1: Yeah, well, well, so the so the other car that I had cuz we've been gone a couple of weeks, the other car that I had was the Toyota RAV4 with the TRD Off-Road and with all of that because it's um it's got a lot of special packages to it, that one goes for $41,000. <laughs> a RAV4 for $41,000. So but uh, the number one complaint I had with the the Rav Four, the TRD in particular, was that it was just incredibly noisy inside. I don't know if it had to do with the roof rack, and and I'm, I'm intruding on your on your explanation time, but it's it's kind of related.
0: Well, but, no, it's fine. Uh, did did the TRD uh, off road you have? Did it have like all terrain tires on it?
1: You know, I was looking at that and yes, it has, so it has 18 inch. They didn't actually, it's interesting. They didn't go into too much detail, um, on the site and nor on the sticker, uh, on the tires. They just, they, I knew that they were 18 inch. They were definitely, um, they were, they were definitely off-road, but it was not, it was not tire noise. It was like, I kept trying to close windows.
0: Hmm.
1: <laughs> it was. Well, maybe,
0: maybe it was a roof rack then.
1: Well, because that's my first thought was that the sunroof was open and I kept trying to close the sunroof, even though it was closed. And then when I actually closed the cover of the sunroof, it got quieter. And so oh. that makes me wonder if it was just the arrow with the roof racks is, you know, it's, it's, it's disturbed. Um,
2: yeah, I usually have that. So we have a, um, a Yakima rack okay. for the Jeep and i take it off as much as possible because it does it just makes makes right. noise
1: yeah i just i i felt like i mean that was really the only thing that cuz otherwise the, the otherwise it was a blast but and i loved the way it looked but i was really really uh disappointed in how noisy it was and 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 the monster the cx5 was not i mean i it, it's it's a nice vehicle it's you know you definitely feel the premium part as we've talked about before, that Mazda's is concentrating on.
2: Yeah, they're really working hard to earn the prices that they're asking for at the the top trims, you know, the Touring or the Signature. Yep. Um, you know, they're, they're nice cars and they feel nice. They're good to drive. And they have that, um, what is it, the G-Vectoring? Yeah. Whatever.
0: Yeah, the G-Vectoring is so kind, they're kind of a, an interesting little thing. I think, I think we've talked about it before, you know, where when you're cornering, uh you know it will you know under certain circumstances it will actually back off the engine torque slightly you know in order to get a little more weight transfer onto the front wheels so ba- mm. essentially what it's doing is kind of an automatic uh trail braking functionality oh. yeah uh you know to put a little more weight on the front wheels to get a little more grip so it'll turn in better so, yeah and it works yeah you know, it does it absolutely does <laughs> yeah
1: no it felt really and- stable so yeah, I, and that's, that's on this
0: part. one too. It's, it's on, it's on the CX 30, <laughs> that feature. So I, I like it a lot. Um. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, of, you know, we, and we talked, you know, it, in the, over the last couple of months, you know, as you've driven cars like the venue and, you know, some of the other in it more, more affordable compact crossovers, you know, the, the, the mark, that segment, that compact crossover segment is kind of split into 2 so you've got the more affordable segment like the the um, the Hyundai Venue mm-hmm. and the Nissan Kicks and then you've got this slightly more upmarket segment you know that starts in that $22,000 range which is right where the the CX30 starts a front wheel drive base CX30 starts at 22 grand which is still very affordable and you know this one that I had the all wheel drive that's fully loaded was just over 31 with delivery you know, so that's, it's still not, you know, it's not crazy. And when you, when you look at what you're getting in terms of the feature set and the fit and finish and the materials of this thing compared to a lot of the competition, you know, I would definitely choose this one over most of the competitors. Um, in fact, I can't think of any of the competitors, you know, in that same size class that I would choose over the CX-30.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's really, they've done a a really nice job, especially that, you know, the technology that's available. I think it's, it's, it's impressive. Um, And 31, 31's not bad. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's, I, I start to cringe when I'm getting into the high thirties and certainly low forties. But I think the bottom line, when, when people are shopping in this segment, there are so many choices, it's exhausting. And I think that, You know, people really need to shop carefully and test drive and spend time with the choice with with the vehicles that they're that they're looking at, because there are just so many choices out there. It's it's really incredible.
2: Yeah, 31K gets you pretty much anything. Yeah, that's either at the high end or the the low middle end. You can pick pick your size, (laughs) pick your brand. And off you go. Especially yeah. if you add used stuff
1: too. Oh gosh, if you add used, yeah. No, 30 that's a that's a really sweet spot.
2: You get a Ferrari for 31 <laughs> grand. be a Mondial, Crazy but that's okay. <laughs> I'd
0: do it. I, I totally yeah, do I mean, it. The the only thing I would change, you know, if I was buying one of these myself is I would not go for the the white uh, that was on the the one that i drove i would i would go f- go for the Soul crystal red because it 's just such a fantastic color and it really yes. shows off the 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 shape of that sheet metal the it kind of the white looks kind of flat um, yeah you know the, you, you don't you don 't see the contours of that uh, the work the sculpting they did on that sheet metal with the white but in the uh, in the red you definitely get it
1: well, and my C- my um CX five actually had um this it had it had that gorgeous soul red crystal metallic, and then it had the katura brown where it's like the interior is b- both black and brown, and mm-hmm. they just they did such a beautiful job with that. I mean, it really looks. I I thought it looked really really nice. Uh, I was yeah. talking to my accountant today, and he's like. What's with the black and brown interiors on cars? I started <laughs> laughing. I said, "Do you not like it?" And he he was not a fan, but I thought they did a really nice job on it.
0: Well, that's why they offer more than one one option.
1: Exactly. That's what I told him. I said, "Everyone's palette is different."
0: Yep. <laughs> well, what what did he like?
1: Uh he just well, I mean, he's he's my accountant. He just wants a black interior. <laughs>
2: oh, I, was, I was I was hoping he'd say something out of the nothing like, you know, in my, in my search, when I come across a car with a black interior, it's just like, it goes low on
1: the list. Cause I just, I don't like them. I, they look cheap. I don't like them. And they also, they just get so hot in the summer. Yeah. I don't find that appealing. And I, and I a hundred percent agree, Dan. I think that they really, they do a disservice to any kind of materials. They just cheapen it instantly. I mean, we've talked about it before, you know, like the you sit in a black interior and I just feel like it shows all the flaws.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Sam, what do you feel? Are you you part of the black interior club? Um, It depends. You
0: know, I, I, I'm not quite as offended by black interiors. You know, I think it depends a lot on the material. Um, Yeah, that's true. You know, obviously, you know, it does have certain advantages in terms of, you know, being less prone to showing off, you know, some of the stains that come with wear and tear, especially if you have kids, mm. um, you know, uh, I would certainly never, uh, never get a vehicle with a white or a light color, colored interior. You know, if my kids were still young, but they're they're grown and out of the house now, so I don't care. Um, it's their problem now. What you know, what they choose to do. But um, yeah, I, I, you know, I I don't I don't mind black interiors, but I do like the black and brown. Uh, which is what was, you know, in the the CX-30 I drove. And, you know, one of the, the interesting details on the CX-30, and I don't know if you remember them talking about this, Rebecca, at the, the launch drive, um, the, you know, the seats, uh, the leather on the seats is perforated. You know, the front seats are cooled.
3: Yes. Um,
0: and the, the inserts, um, you know, you have the brown center section on the seats. Um, but, you know, if you look in the perforations, there's, there's actually a second layer underneath. And so you actually see, you know, like a, a set, you see um, black under there or, you know, under the, the black sections, you can see brown um, under there. So it, there, it gives it a three-dimensional look to it, you know, and it's not, it's not readily apparent unless you, you look, you know, if you look down at the seat, you know, and look closely, you can see it there. And so it, it's just a, a really nice little detail. Well, it doesn't s- jump out at you, but it's there if you look for it
1: right it's it's those and it's those kind of subtle uh, nuances that make the overall experience a more premium feel you know it's those that kind of attention to detail it's well done top stitching it's i you know just that that craftsmanship that they're that they're really pushing towards uh and so i think you know i think it's i i do I do hope that they clarify their portfolio a little bit because it is – it's confusing down at that end with the CX3, CX30. Well, I, uh, as, as i said
0: would, before, I, know talked I think the before. CX3 is probably going to go yeah. away at the end of its current life cycle.
1: I, I just – I wish that they would get on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all. You're bloodthirsty. They just need to kill it. Yeah. <laughs> <I see. laughs> <laughs> off of his head. just like giddy up yeah. <laughs> um all right
2: well let's uh let's pivot over to the the rav4 let's 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 go yeah. right there so it that sounds like it was not cheap um it was not cheap what does it compete with do you think it's like a, a competitor for the uh the cherokee trailhawk or something like i'm trying to think about oh
1: uh, sure yep and the super forester oh yeah yeah as well you know it's it's because it is uh I don't know exactly if it's if it's significantly more off-road capable. It does have uh, the multi um, what do they call it? Uh, Multi-terrain select, and so you can you know uh, put it into snow mode and things like that. Um, I mean, it's I don't. It's not just an appearance package. Unfortunately, I I didn't actually have the opportunity to take it off-road, but this is the TRD off-road, and you know, I. It's a, it's a fun appearance package because, and I don't, I don't want to diminish it because I think there are more, uh, it's, it's more off-road capable than, um, a typical RAV4, but it is, you know, it's a lot of it is an appearance package. It has blacked out rims, blacked out grill. It has actually has a white, the one that I had, had a white top to it, which is kind of cool. Uh, and you know, it just looks different than every other you know, mid to mid-size, small to mid-size crossover that's on the road today. As I just talked about, that you know there there's so many choices, and this thing was just a lot of fun. And I, you know, I in my review, I said, I said it's like uh, I said, equipping the stalwart uh, Rav Four with a TRD off road is like tarting up your forty-something sister in tight '80s I, rocker jeans. You
2: know what?
1: Halloween <laughs> happens
2: once a year. If if you like it, you can drive Halloween all the time, right? Like that's exactly.
0: <laughs> well, and I'm I'm just looking at the uh, the press release for the the TRD off road. It does have all terrain tires. So, it, yes,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. So those are going to give you some extra grip. You know, but as as a competitor to a Trailhawk, a Jeep Trailhawk model, it's you know it doesn't have locking differentials, so it's not no. going to be able to go some a lot yeah, of the places so that a Trailhawk to would.
1: To be, be, be honest, right. though,
2: as a Jeep owner. Nobody uses that stuff.
1: <laughs> like, well, that's the thing is like, like, I, I would, I would put it in yeah, that, you have
0: the option to do it.
1: I would put it in that competitive category from an appearance yeah. standpoint, not so much from well, the capability that standpoint, yeah, because that's,
2: it's a G. That's a big part different. of it though, is like the appearance, I think, and just like people, people like that rugged look, you know, and then with the the different faces that probably improve the approach and departure angles and
1: it, like it, exactly. it, it's there for
2: a reason. Uh, the biggest reason is people just like that. It looks a little tougher. Um, and the fact that it has a little bit of extra capability, uh, probably gives it more, more ability than anybody's ever really going to use for the, for the most part, especially on the RAV4 side. I know that there's a lot of Jeep people that actually do, uh, no matter which Jeep they have, they go doing Jeep stuff with it. So that's, that's
1: fine. Um, Right. This, this is really, I mean, it's, it's, to me, it was, it was largely an appearance package. It does, you know, they do try and promote it, but it's still a car-based SUV that isn't, as you say, it doesn't have a locking rear differential. It's certainly not as off-road capable as the Trailhawk by any means. You know, the interior has this text uh, kind of, you know, wipeable, cleanable, you know, you can, uh, and has this lovely embossed uh, pattern on it. So, you know, they did some nice things with it uh, on the inside. Um, it does have heated and ventilated perforated seats, which I absolutely love. It had a heated steering wheel. It had a really nice uh, bird's eye camera. This the, the technology package, which is about $1,900, is really well worth it. Especially if you are going to go, you know, and do a little trailing. Um, it's definitely something that would come in handy. So, you know, for it's, I mean, overall, it's really, really well equipped, but it's also $41,000 and, you know, that's just a lot of money. Well, it There's does start at like 35. That
2: so that to me seems like that's a little better deal.
1: Right. Yeah. It starts at 35. I mean, you get the, so this one had the off-road weather package, which is the heated and cooled seats, as I mentioned. Um, and that's a thousand dollars. And then it had a premium. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That had a premium a auto tip. system. A thousand dollars though for heated and cooled seats and a heated steering wheel, that's not terrible. Rain sensing variable windshield wipers. A little on the high side. Um, I don't know. I mean, the the technology package is $1,950. And then that's the, not
2: too that's right in the middle. That, the premium
1: auto is sixteen hundred. The hmm. two tone paint is five hundred. So that all adds up to forty one.
0: Of course, you know. you know, unlike unlike a Trailhawk, you know the TRD off road uh, Rav Four does have red painted coil springs. So see, there you go. It, it, it wins. This yeah.
2: is what cracks me up about um, about, about the Rav Four. You know, for a couple generations now, like the Rav Four Sport has had the struts uh, have been painted blue. You'd <laughs> be able to seem like, oh, we got the good stuff. And it's like <laughs> Yeah, but this generation of RAV4, they've actually done a really nice job on it. It feels really solid. Every every single one of them I've driven, um, from the the hybrids to just the, the uh, lower trims, uh it's it's a really good crossover to drive. And it they did a really nice job on its weakest spot, I think, was the interior. And I don't know what the the TRD interior is. Like the, the soft text upholstery seems a little different to me than what I was in.
1: Well, it's not going to be leather, but, but I like the fact that, you know, if you are out adventuring, you're going to get muddy and, you know, dirty and you don't mind because it cleans off really easily. So I, you know, so I did like that. I mean, I went, um, I drove out to New Jersey to pick up something out there. So I drove it, you know, I drove it probably 120 miles in a sitting and it was very comfortable very, very well behaved on the highway. You know, one thing I will say that they did a fantastic job is uh, the, the adaptive cruise control was really good on this. And I bring that up because a couple of years ago, I drove a Toyota Highlander down to New Jersey and granted there was obviously more traffic on the road, but I got, I, when I got to my friend's house, I was car sick from the, yeah. rah, rah, like, yeah. and, and I wasn't really in a lot of traffic. It just, it was miserable. And this one is so much better. I mean, they really, really did a, a really nice job on, on uh, changing and modifying the adaptive cruise control.
2: Yeah. I Then I think that that's been Toyota's MO over the last couple of years is everything that they've uh, updated has been been pretty solid. Uh, I know that they get treated poorly by the enthusiast uh, opinion, but um, their their stuff has gotten a lot better. And the well, Rav Four is like one of the like the tip of the spear. I really like this Rav Four.
1: No, it's, I, I like the is, way it looks too. Yeah, yeah, I like the way it looks too. I do wish that they they would spend a little bit more on insulation, not just because it's loud but i mean i ran into this with the highlander as well you close those doors and you can see the metal shake like the metal wave like yeah. it, it it you know it it kind of what what's the word i'm looking for like it sort of wobbles and it's not a nice thunk like i want yeah. that to be you know so that, that again was, and I feel like I'm whining right now, but so that was something That's her that, job. <laughs> <laughs> it's like first world problems, yeah. but you know, it's, it's, it's those little things again, like we talked about with the Mazda, right. There's a lot of attention to detail there. And I feel like the, I feel like the, the Toyotas, I just, I want them to concentrate a little bit more on some of those refinements that I think they could make.
2: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you can always get the Lexus version. And oh, well, yeah, sure. You know. <laughs> then it'll be refined. Um, so that's, that's what I was driving was the Lexus version of a Toyota. I had the uh, the Lexus GX uh, 460. I still have it. Um, and we talked about this briefly a couple of couple of episodes ago, I think. Uh,
1: um, yeah, I had that a while ago.
2: Yeah, none of our yeah, complaints I, I had matter. had about
1: a month ago.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay. Um, yes, they
1: do. No.
2: This thing's yes. this thing's fantastic. It's it's old as hell, uh, and you can tell that it's old because um, it it reminded me a lot of the Crown Victoria, where just like buttons and switches are sprinkled <laughs> around in like the most nonsensical locations. Like, oh yeah, we wanted to add these features to this ancient platform, so like we just stuck the seat memory stuff on the door. <laughs> like, it, 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 I, I think part of it is just it's it's the the Toyota way in this model because it's, it's a, this is, this is a forerunner. Um, it, it's just, it's, it's nice. I like it. It, it I'd it, rather have a forerunner though. I mean, a forerunner limited is again, it's, it's quaint. Um, but it's, <laughs> it, it's not That's bad. It's also not
0: as expensive. No, but this is, it's is
2: not terrible. It starts at like 53 for the GX 460. Um, I mean, and you get that, like we talked about, that weak 301 horsepower V8. Who cares? It sounds good. It makes enough torque. It (laughs) eats a ton of gas. Um, A ton of gas. But it's smooth. You know, it's it's paired really well with its transmission. It's it's very comfortable. I really like the seats. It doesn't hurt that this one is like a a white pearl metallic with red leather interior. (laughs) It's like, okay, (laughs) somebody picked good colors, which makes it. Easier to stomach the fact that it's it's old, but it doesn't really matter because it's like I I think that it's what people are expecting for the GX. You know, it's uh, it's a known quantity. And have you ever heard a Lexus owner complain? I they love their cars. And they, they're dealers. That's experience.
1: just because they're baby boomers, and that's their jam. This is totally a boomer they're, rig. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they never question their decisions because they always have to look well, smart. Listen, they, but, they but, were told but, that they okay, were. Okay, but you don't want to go down this road. <laughs> carry on. But that Entune, that Entune <laughs> oh, system it's awful. though. Come on, that,
2: that does suck. Come on, that's awful. That's the,
1: that's the, not There's okay. no Apple CarPlay.
2: <laughs> I got it. I was like, what the And this is weird because a year ago I was like, ah, that stuff doesn't matter. Um, And now (laughs) um, it's just, it's more cumbersome. Uh, So I'm a, I'm a late bloomer in that sense, but you really miss that stuff when it's not there. And then just, I, the only nav systems that have gotten lost on me in the last few years have been Toyota nav. It's just, it's just not good. And this is really old Toyota. I like, I just don't, I don't like the controls on the screen. And I think actually the new, the 2024 runner has a new version of it. Doesn't it? I thought it did. I'm trying to remember now.
0: Uh, I don't I'm just looking know. at the
1: The other thing I love about the, the GX460 though, is I love the swing back door. Yeah. And the fact that the, and it's a split, the, the glass actually goes up. Oh, it has flappy glass. I yeah. do kind of, I I do love that, I, and I'm torn. You know, like <laughs> I th- i wonder if we had the same one. Did you have jersey plates? It does have
2: jersey plates. Yep. I don't know how many miles around I wonder, I mean, thank you Toyota yeah. and
1: and Lexus. Cause mine, because I'm looking at the pictures. Yeah, mine had red red it interior. It looks good. It's a beautiful. It's a gorgeous black color. Wheels. It's like this. Yeah. Black wheels. Yeah. yeah, it looks. It's a champagne color. Yeah. That is to die for It looks
2: good in the driveway. I mean, I'll give them that it's it a does. it's and it's, it's not a new design and it does have that giant Lexus grill. Um, but it's, yep. it, it all works, you know? And I think that's the thing is overall as a package, it works. And, and that's why it may be ancient, but I, I, I and I'm, I'm sure that they have <laughs> a new one in, in the works on, on the way, but, if it's satisfying customers, there's not really anything wrong with it other than it, it could use an infotainment upgrade really like functionally. Right. It's pretty good ergonomically. Um, there is this weird uh, strip in the dash that you expect to be something. Cause it's, it's like this yes. in the middle of the dash, right? There's like this black plastic panel. And it's like, it's almost like a ruler, you know, it's like, it's like two inches high by like, I don't know, eight inches wide or something. And all it's there for is the LCD number display for the, the heating. Uh, like it doesn't do anything else. There's no other buttons or anything. and, And it's just like, I'm, I'm glad that there's not extra stupid touchscreen buttons, but like that seems to be a pretty big waste of space to me. Uh, so, and like, those are the things where, yes, if you wanted to pick it apart, it does. It's got these things about it that just are very, uh, just archaic now. And so it makes you laugh a little bit, but as, as a functional vehicle, I think it's good. It's definitely got off-road chops, you know, it's a forerunner and it has all the, the different switchable modes. I think it actually has lockable rear and center diff. Yeah,
0: it does have locking. So like you can
2: get super, super stuck with this. (laughs) uh, Be comfortable about it. I, I don't know. I, and I had to go, um, I had to go pick it up and uh, I had a couple of other things to do um so while i'm still freaked out about picking up an infection um it, it's a, a lovely car and it's a lovely way to to spend time I, I so i dropped the venue off which i liked the venue but i i was driving this back i was like all right like we'll take we'll take the back roads home instead of just getting this drive over <laughs> um, and I'm trying, I'm trying to like I, i'm just appreciative that the fleets are still you know available to us so, so thank you toyota yes. for for that um but it's it's, uh, For sure. it's definitely a, um, it's got a lot of character.
1: <laughs> well, it does. I mean, the fun thing about, about that and the forerunner is it doesn't really, they haven't been watered down, yeah. you know, it's still a truck and that's, and you don't, you just don't see that a lot on yeah, the road I mean, anymore. It, it, it,
2: it's, and it's got fun. that crappy leg room in the back seat because the, the, the second row is low to
1: the floor and, um, yeah, it's 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 not, you know, it's not the most comfortable vehicle, but there's there's definitely an old school like appeal it. to it.
2: I, I I like it quite a bit. Um, and I'm sure that the one I drove, I didn't I don't have the Monroney for it. But I'm sure the one I drove pushed the price up uh, quite a bit. Um,
1: if it was the same one that I had, it was just over 70. Yeah, that
2: probably makes sense because it was probably the G, GX460 Luxury um and that starts yeah. at 65 so uh,
1: but uh, right yeah that's yeah. exactly what I And, and I honestly that, yeah.
2: think like for all of its uh for all of its flaws cuz it definitely has them um it's probably not going to break it's probably going to yeah. just do what it does <laughs> for a very long time um and and I think that it's it's just going to deliver you what you want like it is trucky uh, it's also it's as comfortable as it can be it it it, it rides a lot softer than um the the forerunner it's based on uh it doesn't tow all that much it's like sixty five hundred pounds um but that's that's enough like that's a that's a small camper or uh, a boat a small boat so it'll it'll do most of what most people would do with it anyway um
1: so now do you but but when you think about the competition though right like the gmc yukon the audi q7 i mean what do you think about you know, do you pr- do you purchase this the Lexus because it's yes. a Lexus, uh, and because of right because it's the, it's reliable? And what about resale? What do you think on resale? I, I think Lexus like has this? good resale.
2: Uh, I think Lexus.
1: Yeah, but on I mean, this,
2: I think this is a particular <laughs> buyer though. Like I, you know, it's it's very much yeah. like like how I'm sort of like sniffing around for an E-Class Benz wagon. Like that's a particular right. buyer.
1: <laughs> like. Yeah, no that that's um, a, a very valid. So if point you want this is. thing
2: cuz you, you could get I I'm not sure that there's really a Lexus uh there's not really a Lexus analog to the Highlander though, right? Like that's that's true. That's kind of a hole in their lineup. Um,
0: right. Um right. The the RX, that's true. Yeah, started the RX that has way. yeah. Yeah, and it's it, yeah, it's it's still basically, you know, based on the Highlander yeah.
2: platform. Um Oh, and that's right. There's the 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 long wheelbase RX now too. Does that have three rows?
0: Um, Yes, it does have three rows. I'm I'm not sure. Does the the three row RX actually even have a longer wheelbase or just a longer body? It could be just. I think it's just a longer body. Oh, it's it's a a longer body.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's the worst
2: um, Lexus there is. I do <laughs> not like the RX at all. Mm-hmm. No. But-
1: well, you know, it's not that popular either. No,
2: no, it's only the top selling car. Um, look, I, my mother told me the other day that I was a contrarian from the day I was born. And I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> but That's absolutely true. Um, yeah, but I think honestly, like coming back to resale, uh, the the Lexus resale has to be better than Audi. Audi resale is just like oh yeah, like a stone.
1: Well, Audi Audi is lease. Is yeah, that's, lease.
2: that's true. Audi, and they lease yeah. it, and then they lease it, then they sell it. Right? <laughs> like yeah. they get three bites of yeah. the apple. <laughs> um, and, and I think that you know, coming from European cars uh the Lexus might be like an oasis right because you get that Lexus dealer experience which is very fine tuned audi also has a good dealer experience depending on the dealer but um i i've heard yeah. nothing but praise for for Lexus dealers to the to the point where uh even if you didn't really like their cars all that much like you know you're going to get a pretty decent car and you're going to get treated well so uh it it has its 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 upsides
0: Well, and that's, you know, that's something that's been part of the Lexus experience from day one back in 1990. Right. Is that the whole experience, you know, the customer experience around the dealers. And that's something that, you know, other manufacturers have tried to emulate with varying degrees of success or lack thereof.
2: Yeah. I I mean, premium brands generally will treat you pretty well across the board. Um, But. I mean, just the local Lexus dealers. Just people I know with Lexus is they just rave about it. It's like a guy I know bought a used LS four hundred and sixty. He's like, they treat me the same as a new car buyer. Like they'll come pick it up, they'll mm. leave a car, they'll bring it back. It's all detailed, and they, like those are those are nice touches that you you do get that at some other premium dealers too. So. Um, I don't know. I like this thing though. It's, it's got character, you know? (laughs) It does have
1: character that Uh, it does. (laughs) uh,
2: I don't know that I, I mean, I'd be fine driving it. I don't know that it's a great road tripper. It's, it's a little short. It's a little, uh, you know, so if you try to use all three rows and put some, some gear in it, it's going to be tight pretty quick, Yeah. but uh, yeah. All right. So good. We've had a nice, uh, nice array of automobiles. In our garage, we should move on to some some topics. Uh, and I love the first topic in our list, uh, which it comes from Jalopnik. And so their headline is awesome.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, but basically
2: always. Georgia has just decided that any teenager who wants to drive can drive because Georgia it's not quite as black and white, but you know? because why not? OK, um, I would have loved this when I was 16. I was sneaking the car out of the driveway.
0: Yeah, I mean, to to anybody that that cares at all about automotive safety, you know, the the last thing that we should be doing is making it easier for American kids to be able to well, get a driver's license. It should be getting harder. Well, what's the easier. reasoning behind it, though?
2: Like, what what's their reason for opening it up? There has to be a legitimate kind of, besides just making fun of them.
0: Uh, <laughs> well, uh, it, it's apparently because of the coronavirus. You know, uh, the, um, the executive order issued by the governor, Brian Kemp, said effective immediately the provision of the code requiring the Department of Driver Services to examine every applicant for a driver's license with a comprehensive on the road driving test. And, you know, right there, I mean, you know, driving tests in this in America have never been particularly comprehensive. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, is hereby suspended and applicants for a driver's license shall not be required to complete a comprehensive on the road driving test. Providing all other requirements outlined in the code are met. This pres- provision shall expire at the conclusion of the public health state of emergency declared in the executive order of March 14th and renewed by executive order of uh, anyway. So it's it's because of the coronavirus pandemic. You know, they're they're saying, you know, don't don't bother going to the DMV. You know, if you pass the written test, you're good. Go ahead and drive.
2: Uh, okay. And- I mean that so that does protect the people who are giving the exams right there's there is that like keeps
0: them right but why should we let kids drive if they haven't actually demonstrated at least to the degree that they have to demonstrate it as part of an american you know driving exam road test that they actually know how to operate a vehicle I mean, is it that imperative well, that a sixteen-year-old actually be able to get behind the wheel right away? That they can't wait a few months?
1: I mean, I think that you're. I mean, there is a some presumption of parental oversight.
0: <laughs> uh, that's saying. a pretty big presumption, well, and I, you know, uh, I, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I don't think you know, frankly, you know, I think it would be better if, you know, if the driving age was raised to 18.
1: Well, yeah, that's a whole different discussion though. Right. That's, I mean, that's a different topic. And I, and if anything, I mean, it, well, it, driver's ed, as you said, in this country is appalling and it's embarrassing and getting a driver's license is is seen as a right and not a privilege. So there's the whole, that whole other issue of just who gets to drive and when, um, but. You know, they. I mean, they they do have to pass the written, which is. There's a little rigor there, yeah. A, a positive. <laughs> so,
0: uh, you know, well, I mean, not much. I mean, there's a big difference being between being able to pass a multiple choice test, you know, and actually being able to operate a so vehicle relatively my, safely. I
2: agree that we need better driver training, but I think that um my perspective on that comes from a certain. Uh, lived experience and a certain level of being fortunate uh, that not everybody has. And so I think that making it easier for some folks to drive uh, will actually be a positive for them. You know, a 16 year old kid who still has a job, right? That's, that's a plus who needs to get to their job who can't, you know, doesn't have transit around Georgia's not really well known for its transit. Um, and just depending on where you are in the socioeconomic ladder, uh, you know, anytime we sort of crank up those um, those restrictions, it, it seems like you have to be careful so that the, the, the people who lose the most aren't the people who can least afford it. And that, like so that's like I can see like, OK, in a tough time, especially in a household that may have one or two laid off workers uh, if if there's still somebody who's 16, who, who get to a job, uh, but for the lack of a driver's license. OK, because I would tell you if I was 16 and I needed money that bad, I'd drive anyway.
1: <laughs> well, let's think about this. So, I mean, I agree with you, Dan. The, the other thing, too, is, you know, is this is this that much drastically different than the fact that. They said to all nursing students, right. "Screw it, you're good. Try try like, not to kill you know, people in school." <laughs> so, <laughs> <exactly>. uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I uh, mean, there's I, been uh, this is extreme. Like the the I think the Jalopnik headline makes it sound like they don't even have they can just that they don't even have to pass the test. They don't have to they don't have to pass the written test, which they do. You know, it says so. The tr- aspiring driver's license technically still need to complete forty hours of supervised driving. I you know and uh, they're saying I you know most parents spend five to six hours at most. Um, But I think that you know we are in in a crazy time of the world. And you know they did say that I mean they graduated nurses early.
0: (laughs) I think I think it's you know it's something different to you know say to nurses you know or even doctors for that matter who are in their last semester you know you know you're four weeks away six weeks away from graduation. You're good. We need you to be out there, you know, on the front lines, you know, helping out in the hospitals. You know, I'm I would be much more comfortable with, you know, somebody who's gone through, you know, a couple of years of nursing school or, you know, or, or, you know, gone. I, I realize all, you know, they're not exactly all the way through med school the same <laughs> than, you know, having a 16 year old that has not demonstrated they can actually drive being on the road.
1: Right. But I and I and I recognize that they're not the same my point is that we are in a bit of unprecedented time and you know again it, it's the idea you know where does this where does the kid get the keys from the parents presumably again not always but I, I, I mean, I don't know. I guess I, I just, yes, I can,
2: I can see it. I honestly don't know that it amounts to much either. Um, it's probably not a huge percentage of drivers on the road in Georgia, uh, that are going to be these, uh, 16 year olds who passed one part of the test and and not the other. Um, and I think honestly as well, uh, if they're driving the family car and they're trying to be responsible, they're not going to be taking too many risks. Um, so there's, there's, there's some of that, uh, it's something that would give me a little bit of pause. Cause really the only thing that makes you a good driver is experience. And if you don't have any experience. Um,
1: <laughs> well, but the other thing too, I mean, the positive is that there's not a lot of cars on the road right now.
2: It's going to be fine. Like 90% of the time. Right. But there's those outlier incidents, like a heavy thunderstorm or, or something that you just need to know how to handle. And, and that's where uh, when it gets dangerous and dicey that, that, you know the the lack of experience uh is is going to play a role
1: but that's that's whether they pass the test or not i mean that's true whether yeah I mean, absolutely and Tester. and the positive here is that there are not a lot of cars on the road right now i mean i was talking to somebody i'm like listen you know my my some of my girlfriends in saudi arabia who only recently got the you know the right to drive or the privilege i should say i you know I said, go out now. Go practice. Get familiar with the roads. Nobody's on them. So, yeah. you know, now is the time to send kids out that are practicing their driving and, you know, be get to know the roads as a driver versus a passenger.
2: It is I I hope that when we get back to more normal, <clears throat> um this gets lifted. Uh, and they, they have to go back and get <clears throat> a, a road test. Uh, but, you know, kids on kids on farms uh, and if you have farm plates uh, in certain areas, you can be 14 driving a yeah. pickup truck. Yeah, exactly. So, um, And it, it's a really varied experience. It does. Uh, it it does make you a little nervous, but uh, hey, I went through all the driver's ed and stuff and then two and a half months of getting my license, I crashed the car and totaled it. So wow there was, there's that so <laughs> you no, know, it was a good time in a state park it was awesome <laughs> <clears throat> um so yeah i i there's i hope that it helps the the folks that that it, it can help um i, I you know i, I guess the, the best part is that it keeps people away from each other uh <laughs> and that's really sort of the only way we're gonna kind of squash the the infection rates at this I, point i i, was... I, I, I oh, i'm sorry Go uh, ahead. I, I did see uh, that while total vehicle miles are down, um, I- I- injuries and and uh, you know like uh, I don't know if it's deaths or it, 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 so for for like half the total mileage or, or, or less uh, we we're still at the same rate of sort of crashes and injuries um, over the last month. So that's not good. It <laughs> well, means that's that the roads very, are actually yeah, more dangerous. What
1: I mean, no, yeah. and and to my point of. You know, there's not that many cars on the road. the The cars that are on there, there are people that are going fast. I mean, you know, I am. It's not, hard not to. I, it, I mean, it is, but <laughs> no, it is. I mean, the average speed limit, I would say, is between seventy five and eighty on ninety five right now because nobody's on it. But then, of course, you're always getting those jerks that are going like hundred and ten, which you know is fine if it's a clear road. But they're weaving in and out of traffic and the whole thing. But
2: Yeah. You know. I did I did have some of that when I was going down because it's it's not all that close for me to go pick up a car from the front. Right. Flight, but, yeah. It, it's um,
1: a long drive.
2: It's a little bit of a haul. Uh I think it's like seventy or eighty miles. Yeah. Um but I got tailgated a lot (laughs) on my way down there. And I was like, guy, I'm doing 75.
1: Uh, Right. Chill. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I mean, well, and then a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jake and I went across the Tappan Zee Bridge. And on the way on the way in towards New York, I probably uh, I was probably doing about 80, 85. And all of a sudden in my rearview mirror, I saw one motorcycle. And I moved over oh. to the to the you know, middle lane, and then a swarm of bikes, and they went by us like we were standing still. I think I was in the Bentley, and it was like we were standing still. It was insane, and there was probably twenty five or thirty of them, and they were all going over a hundred. That scares me because they. It, it was scary.
2: Usually, it's guys in like tank tops.
1: <laughs> yeah, like man, I do not want to see it
2: when you hit a pebble a mile up and like. You take the whole pack out like that. I do not want to come upon that scene. So just. Oh, rough. I thought
1: you were just offended by men in tank top session. I, I
2: am generally. <laughs> but, but, the you know, the guys are going to do that on bikes because it's always guys. Um, they.
1: Yeah. I just don't want well, to and, see the results of the crash. That's and Connecticut. We don't have a helmet law. Now, they know. were. They were in New York. So we had a helmet. So they did have helmets on. But yeah, Connecticut doesn't have a helmet law, which is crazy.
2: Uh, every year they have the Pappy's Day run. Crazy, yeah,
1: <laughs> so anyway, onward,
2: <laughs> okay. Uh, so I think we solved that, Sam. I think uh, we're we're okay with with uh, untested drivers.
0: <laughs> so last week, uh, Ford had their first quarter earnings call, and, as expected, uh, it was not very good. They'd lost about two billion dollars in the first quarter, um, and they'll probably lose considerably more than that in the second quarter uh, because they're going at least a minimum of six weeks with no production. Um, but one interesting item that came up from Jim Farley during the earnings call was that they've decided to delay the commercial launch of their automated vehicles, which were scheduled to, to launch next year in 2021. And now they've pushed that back into 2022. And the reason they gave is that they're reevaluating their go-to-market strategy. Um, and you know i i talked to uh somebody at ford uh you know just before the call uh about this and you know this is this actually sounds consistent with what jim told me when i talked to him last fall uh on the interview that uh, that i did with him uh and uh we'll, we'll stick a link to that in the show notes but you know he talked at the time a lot about you know really more of a focus on goods delivery instead of robo taxis for their automated vehicles. And, you know, this, this seems to be the direction they're going, you know, and I I think, you know, other companies are looking at the same thing. You know, I think what we're going to see is a shift away from the whole idea of robo taxis towards goods delivery, especially in the early years of automated driving.
2: That's, Probably where the demand is, right, is logistics.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Versus just trying to move, well, people.
1: especially. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before too. Like, it, it's a it's a good place for this technology to live for a while.
0: Yeah, well, especially you know since the technology is still immature, you know, it's it's really not ready for prime time, and you know, I I don't think that you know, there's there's nobody that. You know that's actually working on this stuff that thinks that it is. Uh, you know, with the possible exception of one guy in Silicon Valley, <laughs> but um, he shall he shall remain unnamed. And um, yes, He's
1: selling all, all of his worldly right. possessions. Right. By right. the way, no, the
3: stock yeah. is too
0: <laughs> <hard>. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, <laughs> everybody else acknowledges that this stuff is not ready, and it's not it's not really you know, it's getting better, but there's still a lot of work to do on this. But for, you know, for goods delivery, I think you can actually get away with having something that, you know, as long as it's reasonably safe is perhaps not as refined as you would want it to be for, you know, if you're carrying passengers, you know, if you're carrying passengers, you really need a system that's going to drive really smoothly. You don't want it jerking around. You don't want, you don't want to make people sick when they're riding in your vehicles. Um, Such and, as
1: yours truly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: so
0: you know you you want a system that's going to be nice and smooth. That's going to give a, a good experience to the to the passengers. And you know if all you're doing is carrying passengers or carrying packages or groceries, you know it's not quite as big a deal. You know if maybe you break a little bit too hard or you know you change lanes maybe a little bit too aggressively things like that. Um, so you can get away with more and also the cost of operating these vehicles. If what you're talking about is goods delivery is going to be way lower, uh, than for a passenger vehicle, you know, it, the, in, in my latest, um, forecast report that was just published yesterday, uh, as we're recording this on AVs, you know, I'm projecting the same thing that, that, you know, goods delivery is going to be a much bigger share of the market for avs um at least out through 2026 20, 27 maybe 28 uh, and you know the the costs uh the cost per mile to operate these things is going to be lower because you know you don't have to do you know as much cleaning the vehicles themselves are going to be probably going to be uh cheaper to manufacture especially if you do you know something that's purpose built for goods delivery um you know but wait you, you aren't don't- they-
1: I mean, I just, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm just confused on something. Yeah. So, are there not going to be any people in these things?
2: We're all going to be dead. And
1: then how do they, how do do the the goods get to the front door then, or whatever door you bring? think,
0: Think about it, you know, more like an Amazon locker on wheels. So, you know, you could have a vehicle that's got a bunch of lockers in it and you know people are going to have to come out and pick them up you know you know when it it gets to your doorstep you know you'll have to come out you know to the vehicle you know open up the locker and so you know probably what you'll end up doing everyone's home though
1: i mean that's you
0: know yeah and and that's you know again that's going to be part of the limitation that's why you know these things aren't necessarily going to be as widespread but you know if if this pandemic goes on for a while, hey, we yeah. probably, <laughs> probably will be home. I do think, though, um, um,
2: it, it's a really curious shift because up until the, I don't know, up until about December, right, the the prevailing wisdom was that, uh, you know, Lyft and Uber were just doing fine and they're carrying passengers and, you and, um, the The real way forward for those companies kind of has always been uh, some sort of logistics use versus carrying just passengers like a taxi.
1: Uh, well, I was on a call yesterday morning with uh, some people here in town, in Greenwich, and, and, and they were mentioning in particular that Lyft is struggling much more than Uber because Uber has Uber mm. Eats. And they're getting revenue from Uber Eats. And Lyft doesn't really have anything like that. So um they were talking about the profitability uh, and comparing them and and Uber's doing obviously everybody is doing poorly, but Uber's doing less poorly because of things like Uber yeah. Eats. That's a good point.
0: Yeah, that's 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 absolutely true. Yeah, you know, and going forward, you know, after the pandemic, it's gonna be interesting to see how this you know, what, what happens. But, um, you know, I had a call the other day, um, with somebody from IBM, uh, was part of their, you know, part of their research group there. And they just, they, over the last uh, couple of weeks, they did uh, a consumer survey of 14,000 Americans, um, you know, to look at their attitudes, uh, towards mobility, you know, a- after the pandemic and, you know, a lot of what they, um, you know, what they found was consistent with what our thinking has been, you know, my company, uh, you, know, they that, um, you know, they found that, you know, they asked the question, you know, how do you expect your personal usage of the following types of mobility options will change once the current COVID-19 restrictions are lifted? Um, use of personal vehicle. 47% said they would use a personal vehicle more or only. 53% said they would use ride sharing or, you know, car sharing like Zipcar less or not at all. Um, 50% say, would you, said they would use ride hailing less or not at all. Uh, you know, so, you know, there is going probably, it looks like there's going to be a significant shift away from shared mobility options because people, it seems that they're going to be very wary about getting into a vehicle that they don't know who's been in there before them, they don't know when that vehicle was last sanitized, and they're gonna feel a lot more comfortable being in their own vehicle, you know, if they know that they're the only one that's been in there, you know, even if they're, you know, if if they're not sick, you know, then they're, you know, there's nobody else that's been in there that's gonna make them sick. For goods delivery, you know, one of the things you can do with goods delivery is if you've got, you know, this sort of Amazon locker on wheels, you know, you could, you know, inside each one of those lockers, You could put a uv light on there so that as soon as the the package has been taken out you know and the doors closed you know it can flood the interior of that that compartment with uv light and kill off anything that Mm. you know any any bacteria or viruses that might have gotten in there um you know and you know that can be done you know in between the time it's you know the delivery has been made and it goes back to the depot or, or wherever to pick up the next set of packages so it's actually going to be a lot easier to sanitize that type of vehicle. And you can do that, you know, do that kind of uh, delivery, you know, in a really almost completely contactless way, you know, because, you know, if you if you've used an Amazon locker, have you used an Amazon locker for deliveries? I
1: I haven't. I did use a locker at Home Depot. OK, I, Go for it's similar, yeah. you know, same idea.
0: Yeah, so it works the same way. So you get a QR code on, you know, they they email you a, or a barcode, yep. you know, on your smartphone. You scan it. You know, you put your phone under the scanner. It reads the QR code and pops open one of the lockers. You right. take your package out. You know, so you don't even, you know, except to close it. You know, you, you know, you can do that with your elbow or something. You know, you don't, you know, you don't have to touch anything, and you could do the same thing with these types of vehicles. So it's it's going to potentially be a lot safer you know, in that respect. Um, And, you know, if more people are stuck at home for an extended period of time, or, you know, if we have a transition of people working remotely, you know, a significant portion of the the population is, you know, working remotely on a permanent basis going forward, then there's going to be more use of e-commerce. So they're going to be relying on deliveries more. So, you know, there's, I think there's definitely going to be a lot more of a market for, that type of, of use case for automated vehicles than there is for, uh, for robo taxis, at least for the foreseeable future.
1: Right. So i um, I was on a call with strategic vision, which mm-hmm. is, they do new car buyer surveys and they asked uh, people that were intending on purchasing a vehicle about changes in mobility needs that were anticipated. And to your point, just to reinforce, these are people that are, are actively or intending on purchasing vehicles um, in the near future, they said that uh, only 2% said that they would use ride-hailing services more often after the pandemic, and only 1% said they would likely take public transportation more, whereas 77% said they expect their mobility to re- needs to remain the same. So I think that you know 1% said they would use ride hailing services less often, but I don't know, you know, it's, I think people are definitely going to be evaluating, uh, the cleanliness of some of these locations.
2: Well, you know, how do you feel when you swap your, your fleet vehicle? And I know that they're working very hard to sanitize all the cars that that we drive, but I know that when I go down to drop one off, I make sure I spray it down so that the next guy who gets in it, uh, Hopefully, doesn't get any anything I'm carrying, and before I get in the next one, I spray the door handles, and then I open the door, and then I spray all the stuff with with cleaner and, and disinfectant, and so that's not necessarily practical to do on a on a large scale. So I understand the trepidation about uh, transit. I, I think um, once we get on the other side of this particular uh, pandemic, it. It may ease, but it's going to take a long time for people to feel comfortable, like a couple of years, I think. And and that's only presuming that we eventually do get to uh, testing and vaccination, some other ways to to really keep a lid on it. Um, so in the meantime. Like all of those, like, I do think that that we're going to see uh, the personal car thing sort of bounce back anyway. And right. I, I don't know where that leaves like Uber and Lyft. It's like, it's going to have a chilling effect, I think on any kind of transit. Um, and, and so I don't know how you encourage transit after a certain point that, that it, it's going to be necessary to get people riding again.
1: Um, yeah. The- I mean, I do think that, you know, that we'll see different responses based on age as well. Yeah.
3: yeah. You
1: know, and, and, you know, the reality, I mean, the other day I was at, you know, waiting in line to get into the grocery store and people were getting to the grocery store in taxis, you know, and right. Ubers and Lyfts. Like it's if you don't have a car and that's not, you know, within your budget, you're kind of stuck, unfortunately. I mean, that's, you know, and, and I think if anything, we may see more migration towards, you know, the changes in materials. That are used and uh, you know antibacterial, yeah, that's true, fabric yeah. or things like that, you know, and 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 to Sam's point, I think that that then we can see more of a divide between the commercial space uh, and the resident or the the personal ownership space um, for vehicles, but you know, I think that this idea of of delivery. You know, a lot of people never had never used Fresh Direct or Peapod or things like that. And you figure out really quickly that it may actually be worth the, you know, the expense. I, you know, if it saves you time and money and keeps you out of the grocery store.
2: Yeah. And that's like what we've been doing is just uh, we go to the grocery store and they'll bring them out to us. You know, they'll, they'll, Uh. they'll deliver your order. Uh, to right. the car, and then like yeah, we've ordered some with with like Target and stuff through shipped and and just, um, it's expensive though, so not everybody can do it.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing is that it it is expensive, and you know, but these are some of the modifications that we need, you know, that that we're going to yeah. be seeing.
2: I, I do think, uh, and we had a question about this uh, for the, the that relates to the the topic. Um, it's probably uh easier or 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 more more efficient to make this this kind of thing make money if you're doing logistics versus passengers uh because you you can so that you're not deadheading all the time you know one of the problems with ubers is mm-hmm. they're constantly deadheading at least uh half the trip yes um,
0: yeah, yeah. It's, it's usually more than half the miles driven by uber and lyft drivers yeah. is empty. so the
2: question that we had was um what are the unit economics of uh a um, hang on, let me let me bring it up so I don't screw it up. Uh,
0: I think, yeah, it was a unit economics uh, of, of a ride share AV compared to the digital. unit economics of a delivery AV, so
2: yeah,
0: yeah, and uh, that's what I was getting at a little bit earlier. You know, the, the, the for a delivery vehicle, it should be significantly lower, uh, cost per mile because you know, as you said, you know, with it's less predictable. Um, with, you know, with a robo taxi, you know, you kind of have to have the vehicles out there. Um, there, there's some degree of predictability, you know, in terms of traffic patterns of, you know, when, when people are moving around, but, um, there's, there's always going to be some uncertainty, whereas with a delivery vehicle, you know, even, you know, uh, even when there isn't necessarily demand, you know, you can have it at the warehouse or the store or wherever, you know, ready to go when needed. So at least it's not, you know, racking up miles, empty miles. And, you know, depending on the the type of vehicle it is, the type of application, you know, I mean, if you had something that had, let's say, eight to 10 lockers in it, you know, you could send the vehicle out, you know, and, you know, have it do eight, you know, do 10 deliveries on a single trip. Uh, You know, and you know, set up that route, you know, so that you min again minimize those deadhead miles. So the last, you know, the last part of the distance from that last delivery until it returns to the warehouse or wherever, you know, wherever it's got to go for its next pickup, you know, is kept to a minimum. So you, it's a it's an easier problem to optimize for deliveries than it is for a robo taxi application. So you know, the cost per mile is probably going to be about maybe two thirds to even even half. Of of what it's going to be for for deliveries, and you know, um, it's it's probably you know in the early years, you know, it's probably going to be, you know, well over two fifty a mile for robo taxis, versus you know somewhere in the dollar fifty to dollar seventy five per mile range to start with for deliveries, and it might even be less than that for deliveries. So I think deliveries are 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 much like much more likely to get to a point of profitability much sooner uh and also be more affordable for the users than robo taxis
1: oh go ahead rebecca i'm sorry (laughs) well we could we could also you know get to the point where uh people actually have almost like a mailbox you have like a receptacle that the locker actually comes out of the van and just drops it you know
2: like like containerized shipping
1: Right. Yes. Right. And, you know, you've got this little box at your house and your stuff goes in there and it's climate controlled and everything's good. In that case, then you can actually have like basically 24 hour delivery almost.
0: Yeah. Right. I mean, you could do that. You know, that's that's more complicated to do that because, um, you know, where are you going to put that receptacle? Is it going to be out by the curb? Is it going to be by your door? Uh, well, right, exactly, you know, and you know, depending on where you live, that might be more challenging. Certainly, you know, if you're living in a multi-unit dwelling, an apartment building, or something, that's going to be more challenging. Yeah, know. but coming uh,
1: out to get the to get the it delivery isn't really it's viable it's, for it's, a lot of people either.
0: Um, I think you know it's less of a challenge than actually going to the store you know i mean if all well, you no, have to but do the is the timing go outside. of it
1: though i mean oh, yeah. i can barely coordinate a car delivery every week
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. no it, yeah i mean it, there there are limitations to it and th- and this is why you know it's not going to be anywhere near universal you know in the early years of this stuff you know it's it's still going to be very limited applications you know uh, you know my my new forecast you know i'm only projecting about 300,000 automated vehicles in 2025, as opposed to, you know, several million that were being projected a couple of years ago in that time frame, you know, so I'm not, my forecast, it doesn't get into the millions until, you know, towards, you know, 28, 29 timeframe.
2: Well, I think one of the keys is to go forward and understand that, there's not a perfect solution and we shouldn't wait for that perfect solution before we start to implement some smart solutions. Uh, and I, God, I hope this really kills Uber and Lyft's passenger thing dead. I know that sounds harsh, but, you know, you think about um, highway volume, right? They haven't done anything but make it worse because, you know, the the best highways carry what, I don't know, five, 6,000 cars per hour, maybe, like that's that seems high to me but uh you're you put even a bus uh a, a bus route can carry like tens of thousands of people per hour a lot more efficiently than a car based solution can and then you try to add transit to that and i know not every place has transit but we should be thinking in ways that move the most people for the least cost yeah, if but, we need to move people at all.
1: Uh, well, I, I, I mean know. but you're getting into the pandemic part of like I know. I know. You know? <laughs> I, I know.
2: And, and like that's that's something that like and, we're uh, we're going to have to get over that at a certain point uh, and have some some solutions that yeah. are optimistic that will solve that. In the meantime it's totally understandable that everybody's freaked out. Right. I'm freaked out. So. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I just you're never going to build enough roads
0: in and, yeah. and well, where we're going yeah, it-
1: there are no yeah, roads, so. are, right. you, roads
0: yeah. <laughs> well, you know and and this is you know this is one of the challenges you know with it's always been a challenge for transit you know is that it's inherently a fixed route um, you know so there's there's always going to be some some inherent lack of flexibility with transit which is one of the reasons why you know personal ownership of vehicles got so popular in the 20th century because yeah. you had the flexibility to go anywhere you needed to go anytime you needed to go there.
2: I should and- – so I should preface my rants with like I'm reading The Power Broker right now, which is all about uh, Robert Moses and how he's, he uh, sort of uh, screwed up New York pretty hard <laughs> with all of his expressways and highways. And yeah. um, uh, it's just an amazing story. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You build the roads, that creates the sprawl. Um, you cut the roads through neighborhoods, and you don't put transit in the middle of the roads or uh, along those rights of way. All of a sudden, you've you've taken neighborhoods that are you know dense and walkable, and you've cut their heart out. And so, yeah, you do have sprawl. You you um, you shift the people around uh, because whereas you know if there's a if there's a transit line that gets you into the city from a, let's say one of the boroughs of New York, right? Uh, so if you're in Queens and you, you want to work in Manhattan, there's transit lines that can, can get you there. Um, if, if that transit line doesn't exist and there's only a highway, then you're, you're driving farther and farther away. Like, you know, you can't, you can't afford stuff close and then your, the traffic just gets worse. And it's just, it's, it's a whole like self-fulfilling snowball effect kind of thing. So I, I, yes. Um, it's somewhat inflexible along that, that last mile, right? Like you, you, um, you have to live close to the stops. I don't know that that's well, necessarily. Uh, a well, not,
0: not, you don't, you don't necessarily have to live close to the transit stops, but what you, you know, ideally what you want is a system that can minimize the friction, you know, in, because what, what you want is a multimodal system, right? and a system that that can uh, minimize the friction uh, in between those modes. And actually, this is something else that was just announced this morning uh, as we record this, um, Mobileye, um, which is planning to launch, do a commercial launch of robo-taxis in 2022, um, announced that they were acquiring another Israeli company called MoveIt, which has been building, you know, this uh, mobility platform, you know, to basically, um, you know, to aggregate the, the different mobility modes, you know, transit and ride hailing and micro mobility and, and so on in, into a single platform. So you can put in where you want to go and it'll tell you the best way to get there. You know, when, when the the ver, you know, when the bus or train is going to be there, you know, where you can pick up a, a scooter or a bike, you know, all, all the different pieces. And they want to integrate that with what Mobileye is doing with the robo taxis and, and make it, you know, part of this larger ecosystem to keep that friction to a minimum for people so that they will be more likely to use that, you know, to, you know, to av- avoid using their, their personal vehicles for an entire, you know, to go to the final destination. Yeah. You can maybe use it, you know, for that first part, you know, to get you to a train station and then take the train or. Or a subway or a bus, you know, into the city, and then take you know take a scooter, you know, the last mile, uh, you know, or whatever you know whatever modes you happen to choose, and whatever is available in a given city.
2: Yeah, I, I would, I would. I mean, I live on a transit line. I live on a on a commuter rail line. Um, the problem is, like you're talking about friction. Like, I could I could even walk there. It's only I'm like a mile and a half or two miles from my house to the station, and then from there, I've got to take commuter rail, and there's then I've got to switch to like the the local Boston subway and they're not, they're not exactly the same thing. I got to pay fare on both. So it's like all of a sudden it's economically, the car is so much cheaper. Uh, it's just, I pay in time versus yeah. uh, actually and it's, 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 I wouldn't get there any faster either. So um,
1: I hope. It, well, there's the element of convenience too. Yeah. I mean, it's not just, you know, I, I know like in the city, in New York, I would, I would see people, we come off the train from you know from Connecticut and then there's the whole city bike thing like all those those you know rental bikes just lined up and they it's actually it's people are so funny they sort of sometimes there's no bikes and so there's like it's unmarked but everybody knows where you're supposed to stand for the next bike huh. and you know and it and as the next bike comes in the person you know uh returns the bike close to where the line begins and then somebody else takes it and And goes off with it. But it's that, you know, before, I don't know what that person was doing before to get to their office. They obviously aren't using the subway. And thankfully they're out of a taxi. You know, they're they're riding a bike to for that last mile. But it it was it was very, you know, it was a little bit of a science, a social science project to just sit there and watch sometimes uh, how that that worked. And and really worked seamlessly. And people were polite and you know, this is this is Oh my God, this is New York. New York. You know, they were
2: like, <laughs> I do, you know, the place the, the that you just leave places just bugs me though. It's just like, why are you leaving your crap out? Oh, I hate like, those. Geez, no, no, so no, lazy. no. This,
1: it's not like those scooters, yeah. the lime scooters and stuff. No, this is like, there's bike racks and you have to put the bike yeah, back. Yeah, it's a dock. Oh, no, there's city
2: bikes. So I right. still have to charge too, yeah. right? They're e bikes. Yeah. Right.
1: Yes. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, I and mean, I like I, more more of that. That's that's great. Like not every not yes, everybody can exactly. do it, but a lot of people can. And and like given given the state of my health, I could really stand to ride a bike more. <laughs> <So>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I would love to see opportunities of of where these things are possible because I think you know there's it, it's rare for us to have a macro solution. A car is a, is. Even a car isn't even a macro solution. There's places that you don't want to have a car like in Manhattan, but you know, where we have pockets of opportunity to, to try these things out, to make these, to make these systems available, I think it's great. And you kind of figure out what works best in what location.
0: Yeah. And this is, this is what's happening right now is we're, you know, we've got a lot of different experiments going on in different places to see what works and, you know the solution there isn't going to be a single silver bullet solution it's not going to be autonomous vehicles it's not going to be scooters or bikes or buses it's going to be a mix of all these things and what what companies have to figure out is how do we make all these things coexist in a way that is usable for the most number of people and you know to to get people where they need to go in the most timely and affordable fashion. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's a tough problem, you know, that don't, you know, anybody who says that, Oh, we just got to, you know, write some software and flip a switch and it'll all be good. Oh, nice catch. This is, this is, this is going going to be a very difficult problem. (laughs) This is going to be a very difficult problem to solve. And it's, it's going to take time uh, and, and a lot of effort and, uh, experimentation to to figure out the the right solution. So, and, and
2: right now, uh, super low demand and uh, also super low gas prices aren't really doing um, any any of these things uh, a service. I think the last thing that I just kind of wanted to touch on was um, in terms of the state of of EVs, really, and adoption. Um, I think it's going to flatten adoption for EVs. Uh, for the short term. And we just saw that really, actually really exciting Rivian and Lincoln projects kind of die because there's just, there's no business case for it.
1: Well, that's the problem is that with everyone losing billions of dollars, you can't, I mean, you have to focus on things that are gonna make money today. And you're absolutely right. I mean, with the gas prices so low, you know, I maintain that we have not made the case Or the how an EV is better, more convenient than an internal combustion engine. Uh, Like it may be better. It's better for the environment, but even then, where do you get the electricity from? Like, well, yeah, you know, I just
0: well, at at least at least for consumers, you know, for the average consumer, it's not necessarily you know uh, a better solution uh, from an economic uh, standpoint, but. For a lot of fleets, for commercial operators, that's, that's a very sure. different story. Well, and again, we're on the
1: commercial side right. versus the personal right.
0: side. But but I think, you know, this is part of why, you know, Ford, you know, decided to to drop the Lincoln Rivian program. And, you know, I think what we're going to see is more focus from Ford on commercial vehicle electrification. You know, they're, they're going to do, you know, the Mach-E still going to go ahead. But, um, you know, next year when they launch the F-150 and the Transit, electrics. Um, You know, that's, I think, where, you know, where you're going to see a real push from Ford on the EV side is with those kinds of vehicles, because those customers are the ones who are, you know, they're putting a lot of miles on those vehicles. They're going to see the benefit of the lower operating costs. Well, and those those customers
2: can also afford the increased cost because of the way business economics is structured. They, it's, it's less of a, a hit when you're, you're purchasing a fleet of vehicles for a business or even just a single pickup truck or two for a farm, uh, the, the bookkeeping is slightly different. So if the EV version is a little bit more expensive, but you can charge it on your own of your own, you know, solar on your farm or, 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 uh, wind. Uh, I don't know how many farms have wind, but,
3: uh, <laughs>
2: you know, would uh, be surprised
3: <laughs> a lot yeah, of but, them do. Yeah. Now.
1: But that initial investment though, I mean whether it's commercial a, a municipality a company I mean right now you know everyone's sort of on their knees for the most part so I think that we we still will see it, we'll see a, a a delay in those kinds of purchases uh, you know unless they need them right away even fleet purchases
2: yeah, I mean, there's also a case to be made. You know, like we were talking about, still, you know, being freaked out about um, catching viruses. Uh, EVs, if you charge at home, the majority is are charged at home. Uh, you don't have a bunch of different hands like you do on a gas pump. Um, now, if you charge at a commercial charging station, it's, it's about the same. It's a wash. Uh, there's a lot of other people. If you touch that. those things, um, but it's your
1: fault anyway. Who touches those things? That's disgusting. <laughs> Well, I mean, got no, You, gotta you have a car, break, like, You have something else. Uh, oh, sure. Anything but your fingers. Uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I just trying to get the feeling in the car by
0: <laughs> But you know, to to the to your original question of you know how much are EVs going to suffer? Um, you know, we are going to see a dip in EV sales this year, along with the whole market. You know, and and the the we published a report last week. You know, assessing the impact of of covid on the light vehicle market and you know our, our projection is that ev sales compare they're going to be pro- off by probably about 5 to 7% from where they were in 2019 this year on a global level but compared to what our for, what the forecast was for 2020 cuz you know we were getting we were expecting a significant increase compared to what our original forecast we're off by over 30% yeah
2: well, but, on the other side of it, too, though, like what are we seeing because cars are off the road right now? We're seeing uh-huh. much cleaner air, um, and people are also seeing the benefits of of working from home uh, in terms of you know, getting those hours back and maybe feeling better because you're not sitting in a car so much. Although I tend to be sitting at a desk <laughs> instead of at a car, or either either or. But I, I think it's one of those things where you get a taste of the benefit, and so it may make you want it more. And and with EVs, it's always been you got to want it uh, and you got to invest because it's not on the purely economic standpoint. It it doesn't pencil out right, but neither does eating at McDonald's, right? It's the cheapest way to get calories, but your health suffers for that. And so the cheapest way to get around causes health problems as well. Uh, You know, just environmental issues with, and and for people who aren't even the ones making the choices. So there's collateral damage, you know, people who just live near, near roads. They got a lot of asthma and stuff like that. So if we commit to the benefits the the costs may be in one spot, you know, the, the cars will be higher, but our healthcare costs overall will probably drop. So you pay in one spot to save in the other. So uh, it, with that kind of holistic thinking, I don't I don't know that the economics don't work. It's just that we're not convinced of it uh, because we're not thinking like all of these things are interconnected. Uh, we're we're just thinking in sort of yeah, most sideways. most consumers uh-huh. aren't
0: really into the whole holistic thinking thing though. So that's that's where the problem lies. <laughs> um well I'm not gonna solve it, All so we right. should just move on. Well I think that that was it for the for the topics. Um I earlier today uh I did get a chance to participate in uh in an interview session with James Collado, who's uh uh one of the drivers for the Jaguar uh Formula E rate uh team this year, uh, or at least he was until the, the season was basically canceled a couple of months ago. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll tack that on at the, at the end of the show, but we we do have one other listener question that came in while we were recording um, from uh, William Maley. Um, and uh, you know, aside from Mitsubishi, which automaker do you think could leave the U S in the next decade or so? Uh, and this is kind of a follow on from the, from the zoom conversation a couple of weeks ago. So who do you think uh, besides Mitsubishi is, is going to get killed uh, in the near term?
3: Oh, I'm
1: I'll, oh, I'll I'll not going ahead. near that. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who do we have?
0: That's... As much as I hate to say it, um, I think Mazda is probably on the bubble. I was, um, it was just thinking Mazda. Cause what about small Nissan and, and Infiniti? They're up with Toyota now uh infinity yeah, is probably another brand that might uh that might get killed nissan has just released a plan though that says like hey we
2: actually care
0: <laughs> yeah and, and, we're gonna try and, to you know wendy Orthman just moved over to yokohama yeah you know i mean she just I got out of quarantine I adore over there, so
1: i adore um, her i know i'm just thinking yeah. you know <sighs> yeah that's, that's that's a tough it, one well
2: like we've lost all the tiny niche brands anyway. You know? Right.
1: And, and I think also, you know, it's just we're, the, the amount of money that has been lost in the last six weeks is unprecedented. It really is. And so, uh, you know, recovery is, is going to be very staggered. And I think we may see some surprising people, uh, you know, companies that don't survive.
2: Yeah, and Mazda because of where they are with their mm. product may actually do okay um, when things start to come back. Uh, their their stuff and, is reasonably and keep priced. Keep in mind, uh,
1: leaving a market. I'm so sorry. I just le- leaving no. a market involves. I mean, you have to declare bankruptcy. You you can't just say we're we're out because of franchise laws. So dealer franchise laws. You have to negotiate with every single state that you have a franchise in which you have a franchise. Oh,
2: that sounds expensive.
1: Well, that's the thing is it's, it's prohibitively <laughs> expensive. You know, now if you, if you declare bankruptcy, then you can, that, then it goes into the federal courts. And right, so it's a, a different protection. process. Right. But, yeah. you know, you can't just say, you know, Hey, I'm out. You know, that's you just, as a manufacturer, that's just not, it's it's not something you can do.
2: I, I think, uh, I think we're we're more likely than uh, Mitsubishi or Mazda. Um, we're more likely to see premium brands, really small premium brands that are here, uh, decide that it's just not worth it. Uh, and uh, I'm mostly thinking of Lotus. Uh, I don't, I don't know how profitable they are in the U.S. I'm I'm hoping that they are. I really like the cars. Uh, I, think, well,
0: I think the chances of that are pretty slim. Yeah, of them leaving or being profitable. Of uh, being profitable. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's something um, they've struggled with their entire history. So
2: yeah, that's that's true. Uh, I just like if, if we're gonna if things are gonna be flat, I, they, there's a, there's still gonna be demand for the high end stuff, but there's a lot of choices. And so I just don't know if they get squeezed out They're They're, that's a, they're really nichey, you know, and they don't have the cachet of a Lamborghini or a Ferrari and they don't cost like it, but um, even like a high-end Audi, like same.
1: same Yeah. But do they have a lot of capital costs? I mean, they don't have a widespread dealer network, uh, you know, supporting things like that. You know, maybe they, maybe they're only in New York and LA and Miami or something like that. You know what I mean? Like then they just really limit, they limit their exposure rather than leave altogether because the U S is such a big market for super exotics. It's usually the number one market. So now China may be, may, China may be the number one market now, but historically the U S was the number one market for those types of vehicles.
2: Yeah. I don't know. know. This is a tough question.
1: Damn. (laughs) Come on, Uh, William, take it easy on us.
2: I honestly don't, I don't really see, Mitsubishi leaving either, Um, and it's the same same reason as Mazda. They've stuck
0: it out. They've stuck it out this long. Yeah, you know they they seem to be for whatever reason. Mitsubishi seems to be intent on remaining a presence in the U.S. market. Um, What about you know like Fiat and Alfa Romeo?
2: Oh, Alfa could die tomorrow. Like they're so insignificant, and Fiat's already on its way.
0: Yeah, like. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah but i mean alpha they're so popular in this area i mean the other day i pulled up to a four-way stop and there was a julia and a Stelvio. huh yeah i mean yeah, they're you know it's a niche
0: you know like lotus you know there's a certain audience that likes those cars and don't get me wrong i love them you know i i, I think they're fantastic vehicles I'm not sure i'd actually want to own one Um but, you know, I do love driving them.
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, I, 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 the Fiat brand, like, they don't have anything left. They've got, what, the the, the 500 it's, is going away. The 500
0: and the the 124. And the 124
1: yeah, is going away. Yeah, Fiat's on yeah. its way out. I mean, I, yeah. I can't see it surviving. Alpha, yeah. though, I do think there's a place. Again, limited, uh, you know, limited dealerships. A realistic forecast, but Fiat just
0: no. And you know, I mean, when when they launch the Tenali, you know, that could be you know what really kind of gets them established and you know get, gives them a real foothold in the mm-hmm. U.S. market if it's successful.
2: Hmm. Okay. I I don't know All that right. there's the, yeah there's not there's not a whole lot of brands for us to shed anymore here in the, in the U.S.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, we had a purge uh, 13 years ago, yeah. 2007, 2007, 2008, 2009. The, you know, the brands Saturn, Pontiac, Hummer, I mean, they went away. You know, Oldsmobile went away. Sob. Sob. Okay, so yeah. let's pick on GM, all right? Jeez. Guys. Mercury. <laughs> Mercury. I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, off yeah. the top of my head, those took, are the brands that Mercury went away. I'm going to Dice Suzuki. Suzuki.
2: Uh, yeah. Suzuki. I know. I, I miss <laughs> Suzuki. Um, uh, isuzu but it is another, uh, another gm yeah.
1: sort of lash-up. the via cross oh, i love
0: that car it <laughs> <laughs> uh, makes one of us i
1: love
2: the way the axiom looked <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, I, I thought the axiom was so sharp looking i don't know that I, it was as refined as it looked
0: yeah uh, the the platform the via cross was ahead it, of its like time there. yeah <laughs> and will remain so for all eternity <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, yeah Well, i think those are uh that's about all the questions, uh, yep yeah
0: All cool. right. well well let's let's wrap it up then uh thanks everybody for listening. Don't forget to uh give us a, a rating somewhere if you're so inclined uh it always helps to hopefully you know, help us get a little more exposure and um yeah, we let's, need to do uh, another Zoom soon too. By the way, like that's, we yeah. yes. that we do. Yes, my friend Kristen
2: asked specifically. I mean,
0: I so I, yeah, I trimmed
2: my beard and everything. <laughs> beard.
1: I showered.
2: Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I, I mean, right. we have to see the rock again. So yes, you know. exactly.
1: The rock is still here.
2: <laughs> uh, you're gonna get bored. You're gonna like grab a jackhammer and start. Uh, <laughs> Making a little mini Mount Rushmore in it or
1: something. <laughs> oh I do see I do see opportunities for, for water in the rock. We'll see. Okay, excellent. We'll see. Excellent. All right. All right.
0: Well thanks everybody right. for listening. We'll catch you thanks next everyone. time. Thanks right, everyone. Cheers. Bye. Hi there, James. How are you doing today? Hi Dan. I'm doing all right. So James, uh question first for question. Um how how's the transition been going from sports cars? I've been watching for Watching you for the last several years, racing uh, Ferraris in particular uh, to uh, to Formula E, and you know you've previously raced open wheel cars in, in the past. And you know how, how does the form how do the Formula E cars compare to what you previously raced? Yeah. So, um,
3: firstly, yeah, obviously GP and Formula are completely different. So obviously I had to be tapped. Um But to be honest. Jaguar got me doing a lot of testing throughout the year, and um, I spent a lot of time in the car. And so it it came back to me pretty quickly. I adapted to, you know, being in a single-seater again. And the way single-seater works, the approach you need to do, uh, single-seater racing is also completely different to endurance. So I've got that experience from before. Um, The car itself is quite a lot different. Uh, Obviously, the biggest change is that it's... uh, it's an electric race car. Um, so it works quite a lot different. It a lot of software and things like that. So that took some sort of time to to adapt and to be able to learn, um, you know, what to do in a race situation where you need to be, and, uh, be efficient. That's, that's quite an art. Um, so, again, yeah, in that respect, um, pretty much a steep learning curve. Um, I've done many races, the, um, we've got this
0: now, which, which isn't helping. But um, yeah, looking forward to getting back and um, yeah, get back racing. Uh, the the Formula E cars, you know, compared to certainly compared to the uh, the open wheelers that you run previously, and and, I, and I'm sure maybe even relative to the GTEs, and you can maybe answer this, uh, are relatively low downforce cars. Um, how do you you know? How does that feel? You know, how do you like that compared to uh, running the the cars you you know, previously raced?
3: Yeah, obviously, I I miss the high downforce cars. I remember the four GTS I was in GP2 and doing some Formula One tests with uh, with Porsche. India and honestly, they they are the most incredible cars to ride. But uh, GT is, is very much different in that it's the GT car. Um There still is downforce. Uh, still quite a lot um we, we find that um especially in the Mon, that is really really sensitive to change uh and the formula e is pretty much next to none course. uh zero almost you, you can follow cars you can race cars overtake much easier than what we've had in any other formula that i've raced in before and in terms of adapting to that i think um you just do you know it's any driver that gets into the car will just adapt, um, you know, just take a few laps. We really need to get used to it. There is a, a different driving style in Formula E where uh, one one is uh, is you can't attack the brake really hard, like, in, say, the Formula 3, Formula 2 car. You need to be really gentle on the brakes. And that is purely just because of um, its lack of downforce and the fact that it's not on um, slip tyres.
0: Uh, so because you don't have as much, um, mechanical grip from the tires, uh, and, and, uh, and as much aerodynamic downforce that you can't use as much brake as you normally would. Yeah. You just, I mean, um, it's quite the
3: because, um, you can overdrive the Formula E car because, you know, you're stacking in what feels like a Formula One car, obviously just without all the downforce, uh-huh. without all the grip, um, and not only that, we're, we're on tiny little streets, there from, which make driving these cars really really tough. Um, but at the same time, they are really enjoyable cars to drive. Um, very very clever uh, in what they can do, and uh, you know they're not slow. They're, they're you know probably the same speed as the Net Yeah,
0: I, I attended the um, the race in New York last year uh, with the the folks from Jaguar, and it was it was a fun race to watch. I mean. It's, there was some some really good jousting on the track there between the drivers. Um, you know, as a driver, you know, do you, you know how do you feel? You know, what do you do? You like the the low downforce versus the higher downforce cars? I mean, is it do you find it more fun, or is it or is it just it's different? It's, yeah, I
3: I've got no precedent. Um The only thing I miss is the sheer speed of a high down high powered car. I do miss that. But at the same time, it's just because it's different, you still enjoy it anyway. Though it's different in, in good reasons as well. I mean it's nice to be able to slide around um and follow other cars. That's it makes for really good racing. Um, you know, we've seen it in former E races that it's always action packed. Um, you know you don't rely on aerodynamics you don't rely on massive rigs it's more of a um, technology kind of game and obviously need to be up the front and circle at, at a good standard of driving level
0: to be able to be competing at the front. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier you know, the fact that you're, you're driving on you know street circuits. Um, have you had a chance to, to test one of the Formula E cars on a proper road course and you know, what, what was it like and, and would you like to see Formula E running on those kinds of courses?
3: Um, no, I've never been on like I've never been on a Grand Prix circuit with a full marine car. Um, they're not really quick enough at the moment for that for that to happen. I have been on airfields. Um, that's where I did the majority of my testing before I actually got the legacy of the three season test. Um, but yeah, I think at the moment we, we won't be there, but as as the cars improved and the technology improved um, as the generations go up and up, we will eventually have to go on bigger tracks because they will just be too small for the, for the performance. Um, it's already a little bit on the limit. I mean, we easily be able to do Monaco or Brexit, um, and that would be a really cool track. Um, and I just see the future of Portnary getting better and better, and I think there will be changes going forward.
0: Driving an electric car, um, you know, would... If you uh, have you have you driven any other um hybrid ha- hybrid race cars and yeah you know, ha- would you like to try um electric racing in other formats besides something like formula e like a like an electric gt car or uh, or something else
3: i think well formula is the first full electric car i driven a race car obviously when i was doing um Formula One tests in
0: 2013 when it occurred. Okay. So um, there were electronics and things you need to
3: do to make that system work. So that's the only experience I've really ever had with electric. Um, and then yeah, I would like, I would of course be interested in other um, Formula that you know turns to electric. And it would be great to see GP car be the, the electric. you have got the Eye I- you know, mm-hmm. trophy races there, so I think that's a good introduction to um, GT cars, although it's an SUV it's GT, it's a
0: tin top car today, right. and um, seems to be going pretty well so far so I think in the future we'll see that um, and yeah, let's see what happens um, What about uh, sim racing, you know well first of all um, you know, before before you got into the, the Formula E car I assume you spent some time in Jaguar's simulator and you know, how, how helpful was that to you? You know, was it, you know, did you get enough out of it? Was it a realistic enough experience, um, to, to really get you prepared for being in the car for the first time? And, and has it been helpful to you, you know, in training, uh, going, you know, as you've gone through at least the first part of the season before, uh, before you, uh, got shut down.
3: Yeah, no, I think, um, Simulator, we call it the deal, is is, um, the most important thing for for us. It's really realistic. Um, Tracks are identical. They're all latest and tracks. And, yeah, we can pretty much simulate anything in the simulator that would react in the same way in real life, reality. Um, With Formula E, they are all new tracks for me. So... um, I, I tend to do two days prior to each race. Mitch only does one secret experience, but I like to do two. Uh, the first day is purely to get used to the track and to push my limits. And then the second day is to work on setup um and have strategy for the race. So we can simulate races, we can simulate, uh, we can simulate the shakedown. We, we, we do absolutely everything, if we were at the race weekend. And it's important that we you don't get much time on, on track, um, in reality, we only get two pre-practice uh, sessions, which are only four to five minutes and um, thirty minutes, mm-hmm. and then it's straight to quality, which is one lap. So you kind of um, rely on the simulator, um, you know, to, to get that knowledge before getting in the car. Obviously, when you do step in the car, in reality, it's never the same. There are there are differences, um, but it just gives you that general. Um, knowledge of the track, where to break, where you know, where to put the gas and things like that. So, super helpful. Um, and yeah, looking forward to getting back on that and, uh, getting used to driving. I think I forgot. <laughs>
0: um, you, you have been participating in the, um, in the, the sim racing, uh, that started recently for, uh, for normally, haven't you? I think.
3: Yeah, yeah. So we, Paul Marie gave us all simulators, all their drivers and simulator. um, and yeah, we've been racing in the uh, race at home challenge. Um I can't remember I finished in the last one. I think it was eight. Mm-hmm. I had a good battle with Jeff. So, um, yeah, I mean, these simulators aren't like the professionals. Right. They are completely more fun than anything. Um, the thing that is real is like, you know, the tracks and the fact that you get to race you, your real competitors absolutely quite nice. We all, we all get to speak to each
0: other on, on Discord and um, and that's certainly something you don't get to do in, in a real race. It's so funny to hear some drivers get really mad. And, uh, <laughs> we wind each other up all
3: the time. But, um, you know, it's all for the course, cool and um we're, we're all enjoying it. It's something we can do whilst we're stuck at home and everything kind uh, of gets back to normal, I guess.
0: Is that something you'd like to continue doing? You know, maybe, you know, do you think series should continue with being involved in sim racing, you know, maybe during the off season periods or during breaks? Um, you know, to keep the interest up?
3: Yeah, for sure. I think it's good. Um, it's attracted a good crowd of people. Um, it gives the fans the opportunity to watch us race. Um, and when you look at the graphics of uh, of iRacing or R-Factor uh, 2, sometimes when I watch it on TV, it's like, is it real or is it not? I can never, it always takes me a few seconds to look at the graphics that are sort of, you know, surreal now. Um and it is really realistic, you know, we have spotters, we have um, pit crews, we have all those sorts of things. So it's actually nice to work with the guys that you've worked with um, and trying to, you know, find a good setup and things like that, especially in the GT car. So, um, yeah, it's good. And I think, um, you know, it's a lot of driving, getting the opportunity, sim drivers, getting the opportunity to prove what they can do. And I think we see, you know, some winners of these championships actually get opportunity to try real simulators if not a real car so um yeah it's only only
0: gonna get better. i don't have anything else um thanks for your time james it's been great conversation appreciate
3: it
1: brain fog insomnia moodiness weight gain